And welcome to the Onside Kick Family Hour. I'm your host, Ryan Van Biver. With me, as always, Stephen White and Danny Kelly. Hey, how are you guys doing today? Doing well. We're awesome. All right. Well, hey, you're not in Detroit, so uh, <laughs> that's probably better than those guys are doing today. Um, yeah. Anyone that's just tuning in, we uh, literally, like uh, the first time ever, I think, in the history of the podcast, news, big news actually happened before we started recording this. <laughs> Usually it happens right after we hang up. Um, but the Lions cleaned house. They fired the general manager, Martin Mayhew. They fired the team president. They're firing pretty much everybody <clears throat> except for Jim Caldwell. Um, I, you know, this is something we talked about a little bit last week because they had fired their offensive coordinator and replaced him with Jim Bob Cooter. Um, so I guess kind of to pick up where we left off with that, Stephen, are you surprised by the news today? Uh, the timing of it is a little, you know, jarring. You get Thursday uh, afternoon, basically, before before a game on Sunday. Um, but after last weekend, you know, they, they, they fired some of the offensive coaching staff, and we were kind of debating whether or not that was actually going to have a positive effect on the team, and it turns out it didn't. So, uh, you, you know, uh, they had, they really crapped the bed over there, uh, uh, overseas, uh, playing the Chiefs and just, I mean, it was like, it, it, as bad as they looked all season, they looked even worse. So you, you had to figure some, something was going to have to give this week. I think most people probably assumed it was going to be the head coach though, not the GM and, yeah. and, and, and the uh, team president. So I think that part of it is even more shocking. Yeah, I guess that's what I couldn't figure out. And then somebody, you know, I, I not to put too much stock in what people on Twitter are saying, but, <laughs> um, it, it, you know, I saw some reaction to it, like the people on Twitter talking about, it's like, well, you can't, if you fire Caldwell now, what do you do? I mean, then you don't have the new GM, doesn't get to pick a head coach. But, I mean, I guess they would both be interims anyway at this point. Yeah, I don't really understand the whole, he's the only guy who's, like, been saved from all this it just seems a little bit weird i i I don't really understand the logic in it to be honest it's uh i mean yeah what what's the point in waiting really it seems like he's on the way out unless they like really like him and have a plan for him in the future but well and they just said that he's safe for the rest of the season yeah which is kind of weird now now martha ford the owner is going to speak in about 30 minutes here so we'll see if more shakes out of that. But it, I thought that yeah. was kind of interesting that they fired, you know, the general manager this time of year. And and you go back and look, and the general the results don't speak volumes about you know this guy's uh, about Mayhew's draft history just alone. I mean, you look at the contract stuff they've done. You look at the changes they've made, the lack of the relative lack of success they've had. It's not a. I mean, Mayhew was the general manager when the Lions went zero and sixteen. Uh, yeah, yeah. there was a tweet earlier talking about how they don't have any of their draft picks from like 2011 or 2012 or 2010 or 2011, and then uh, they're going back, their draft history just looks pretty terrible. So I yeah. guess they're cleaning house. Yeah. It seems like uh, they've been really hit or miss with the draft picks because, I mean, obviously, you know, did draft in Donkong Sue, who's no longer there, but was a, a Pro Bowl player for them. He he uh, drafted Ezekiel Ansah, who looks to be a monster this year. Um, 
And, and so there's been some hits, but yeah. but I think so many times when it comes to drafting, it's not necessarily about that top pick or the top two picks. It's about how many steals can you get in the draft. Yeah, and that's the thing I think is sorely missing from these team. This team, like those fourth and fifth round picks, they end up playing like first rounders. Yeah, I, I don't really know of a guy that you could could say that of on that whole team right now. No, and you see that reflected down the depth chart because I mean that's where you know you look at like the offensive line struggles around, and the Lions certainly have had their share of offensive line struggles. But that's where you know you get you should be able to find starting offensive linemen in those, that second and third day of the draft. I mean, that's where the good teams do that, you know, because you can't always pick. You're not going to have five first-rounders on your offensive line, you know, nine times out of ten. So you've got to be able to do that. And I was just looking. I pulled up their draft history. It's not – I mean, it's not It's not good. I mean, there's a <clears> – <throat> you know, they're hurting for secondary receivers, but they spent a second-round pick on Ryan Broyles in 2012 you know they're hurting for you know Corey fuller tj jones it's just not yeah you know those are the guys that those are the rounds where you find guys like that at and they haven't been able to do that and then you look at the changes i guess they had this off season too and what the you know from a team that was kind of i mean you know what they were what, what they were sort of contending for a wild card last year weren't they i mean yeah they were no they were a wild card last year they were yeah. 11 and 5 yeah one play away from going to the next yeah line. the whole cowboys thing so yeah i mean it's, it's amazing turnaround and, and i think that that's that's another part to it also is that they raised expectations with that season last year and even when you lose in domicon sue and two other defensive tackles you look and you say well uh we still got a ton of talent on offense, Eric Ebron is going to be a year yeah. older. You bring in Amir Abdullah, and you figure, man, th- this offense will be strong enough to kind of, you know, hold up the defense a little bit, and it just hasn't happened. No, and that's, you know, the one-two combination of, of, of Calvin Johnson and Golden Tate, I mean, that's a better one-two combination than a lot of teams have. I mean, oh, yeah. can you imagine if the Panthers had a number one and wide, two wide receiver like that? Seriously. I mean, it, it's just, you know – <clears throat> it's hard to justify that. But I, the timing of it, I'm not going to go back to something Stephen said, that timing of it, it's just weird. They had a bye last week because they were in London. Is they yet London another another disastrous <laughs> London. Yeah. yeah. And then they play the Packers this week in Green Bay. Hmm. So that's kind of a, that's a tough, that's a tough game. But, but uh, I know. I guess we'll see what happens to Caldwell at the end of the season, too. I'd be kind of surprised at this point if they kept him, given what all, all all the changes that they've made, don't you think? Yeah. I don't know why they wouldn't at this point just clean house and, and like start over with every everything. I don't know why just keeping the head coach really makes any sense. But maybe the uh, owner really likes him and mm-hmm. thinks he's you know the guy for to, to build around. But maybe. It just seems weird. Maybe Martha Ford saw that PowerPoint that Caldwell brought in. It's like, man, PowerPoint, amazing. <laughs> She's still holding on to that, yeah. <laughs> I know there's you – know, the, go ahead, Stephen. You know, really, um, one thing that I, I'm thinking of is maybe when Caldwell fired those offensive coaches, he kind of made himself indispensable. Yeah. Because they're kind of running out of coaches. <laughs> you fire him, and all you got is Jim Bob Kudalev. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
I'm just saying. Because you can't really hire an interim. Right. And, you know, even if you turn, you know, the interim uh, uh, head coaching job over to somebody on defense, you're still going to be shorthanded on offense. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm not saying that's the main reason, but I am wondering if maybe that's at least part of it. That's like a Game of Thrones move right there by uh, Caldwell. For real. <laughs> For real. <laughs> <laughs> Finally. <laughs> going on. Finally, he's making good coaching decisions. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's, you know, I was just thinking back to the Mayhew thing, too. It's like they trade the, they let, you know, they, they were in a tough spot with Sue. I understand that. That was a, a sort of a no-win situation with his contract and the franchise tag and in that situation. So they traded for Haladi Nagata, but that hasn't worked out very well either. And I know part of Nagata's problem this season has been injuries, but man, that defense, remember Terrell Austin was talked about as, you know, yeah. a potential head coaching candidate down the road, given the way the Lions defense played last year. Yeah, they were one of the top defenses. I mean, they stopped the run, I think, better than any team in the NFL. And there was talk of, you know, maybe this is a, their secondary is better than the Seahawks secondary and things like that. You remember? So they, they were yeah. definitely a really, really mm-hmm. good defense last year. And they're not really known for that again this year, obviously. Yeah, that, that DeAndre uh, Levy and yeah. just killed him. I mean, he, he, like I said, he did so much for that team and was such a playmaker in, in a lot of ways that didn't show up on the stat sheet. Um, and you, you just can't replace a guy like that. And they didn't really have time anyway. You know, I think the injury, uh, he sustained the injury during training camp, and then they were kind of hopeful that maybe he would get back to, to being healthy at some point. But they finally had to go ahead and put him on IR. Yeah. And uh, I think they did that earlier this And that's a huge loss. I mean, those line, linebackers in those, the, the linebackers in those 3-4 def, or 4-3 defense just don't get much credit. Or it's just, I mean, I guess an inside linebacker. I think they might have lost a defensive end, and, and you lose Levy. So, yeah. uh, I mean, it's going to hurt. Well, they lost Tyrone Walker, too, who's not, you know, I mean, he's not a household name, but he's a, you know, he's a, a key part of your defensive line there. Depth is so key, like, as the season goes on, too. It, it could just get a lot worse in, <laughs> in Detroit as we go, too. And I that's mean, something that goes back to the Mayhew thing, too, you know, why you, yep. you come after him with the pink slip today, too. Um, sticking with the Lions here, I think another interesting thing that, that Ian Rappaport from NFL Network uh, tweeted out in the wake of all the firing stuff was that the Lions are not uh, necessarily committed to um, Matthew Stafford being in the plans next year, which yeah. is sort of a surprise, I guess, just in the sense that, you know, it's not easy to replace a quarterback. And this is somebody that the Lions have really invested pretty heavily in over the years. Docking mm-hmm. him for so long. Stephen, I'll well, let you take that. <laughs> yeah, look. We talked about this. The reason, or at least part of the reason, why Jim Caldwell was hired was to, quote-unquote, fix Matt Stafford. Yeah. The fact that you need your franchise quarterback to be fixed in the first place tells me he's probably on thin ice. And now the guy you hired to fix him is probably going to get fired, has gotten the GM and the, the president fired, and his offensive coaches fired. Yeah, the next guy in line is probably Matt Stafford. It's time for him to get fired, too. Yeah. 
And he's just really, you know, his career is just not, he's just not progressed very well throughout his career. I mean, this is a guy that, you know, he's talented. He's not, you know, I don't expect him necessarily to be Aaron Rodgers talented, but he's, you know, he's a talented quarterback and came into the league a talented quarterback. Struggled with injuries right off the bat, but, uh, you know, once they got him on a 16-game season, he did pretty good. You know, he had a 5,000-yard, 41-touchdown season in 2011. I'm just looking at that. Nothing That's bad to sneeze at. <laughs> no, he had 41 touchdowns, 16 picks, and then the next year he had 20 touchdowns and 17 picks. And then 29-19, 22-12, he's, he's got 13 touchdowns, 11 picks this year. What happened in the 2011 that, like, he turned off something like going to 2012. I don't know what the the deal is there. And his, his past completion percentage <laughs> dropped a lot too. I think one of those years was a year when Calvin was ac- actually healthy. Yeah. Four times. And maybe the other ones after that is when he started kind of this, you know, maybe I'll play, maybe I won't type of situation uh, mm-hmm. that's been going on the last few years. <clears throat> but I bet you there's a direct correlation between, uh, Calvin Johnson being healthy and Matthew Stafford having these crazy stats. Now, some of that is yeah. the league has kind of caught up to Calvin Johnson. You got yeah. these taller, bigger uh, cornerbacks now that, that aren't really scared of him anymore. But another part of that, too, listen, <clears throat> when you said Aaron Rodgers, they are very similar when you talk about <clears throat> physical skill set. Yeah. Matt Stafford can move around in the pocket. He can make every throw. He even has these crazy ways of, you know, throwing underhanded or sidearm or whatever, if need be, uh, or try to fit stuff in there. Their biggest divergence is mental. Aaron Rodgers makes way better decisions on the field than Matt Stafford. Yeah. And so, look, they had every reason to throw money at this kid because he does have every physical trait you want in your franchise quarterback. And even when he makes mistakes, I'm not saying he's making Jamarcus Russell level mistakes. He's just making mistakes he, he shouldn't make and that he doesn't have to make. He's making the kind of mistakes that a lesser quarterback makes because they know they can't make all the throws. He can make every single throw. But sometimes you got to understand the best throw is the one that you never actually that it never actually leaves your hand. Yeah, because it, you know it's going to end up with the other team, and he still still has not figured that out. Yeah, and that's the curious. I mean, and that's what you look at with Stafford too. And that you know, and now his interception rate this year is is as high as it's ever been through his career. And that's and that includes well, except for his rookie season, which you know was sort of cut short anyway by injuries and and rookie season. But his yeah. interception right now, you know, he's already got 11 interceptions through eight games. He's one of the, you know, he's, I, he might be tied for the league lead or, or he's close to it if he's not. But, uh, you know, you're throwing picks like that in a season where he's supposed to kind of, you know, have that under control to a certain extent. And his average passes are shorter. They're not traveling as far in the air. And it just sort of defies logic because, like I said earlier, it's you've got Golden Tate and Calvin Johnson in the lineup too. That's a good one-two punch. But I guess the thing is, like, if you move on with him, and Stafford's contract is such that he's a big cap hit for the next two seasons after this, but it's one of those NFL contract magic things where he's not, you know, it's not a huge loss if they cut him or a huge cap hit if they cut him, and it's not, um, 
it's not the kind of contract that is necessarily insurmountable to a team trading for him either. I think he's due 18 million in base salary, maybe like a $22 million cap hit next year off the top of my head. But, uh, you know, for a quarterback and for a cap that goes up, it's, it's, it, it doesn't seem like he would be without a team for very long, whatever happens if the lion, when, when the lions decide whether or not they're done with him. but whether he can kind of get that back is sort of the key. I guess it's like the Colin Kaepernick stuff that's going on right now. Yeah. It reminds well, me of like the Sam Bradford thing even a little bit. Yeah. Well, here's the, here's the thing. <clears throat> There's an economic element to this as well. It used to be that you didn't want to move on from a guy too fast <clears throat> because in order to get back in the game, so to speak, then you got to uh, take a quarterback real high in the draft. And those quarterbacks are making, you know, crazy amounts of money. Yeah just from being drafted in the first, you know, five picks of the draft. Now that you have this rookie cap, you you get cheaper fast, and you might get better fast getting a quarterback in the, the first five picks. And it looks like right now the Lions are definitely going to be picking in the top five. So, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I'm just saying they could actually, you know, find their quarterback in the future really, really fast and have it help them cap-wise immediately. Yeah, and, and with that, and there's a couple. I mean, you got the Goff kid at Cal and Connor Cook, maybe. I mean, I, you know, I, I think, I don't the, know. Excellent kid from Memphis. Yeah. It's, so, you know, you've got some quarterback choices in the top of the draft this year. And I'm, just, I'm telling you, looking at the Lions' schedule, it's a good bet that they're going to have a top five pick because they got the Packers two more times. Got the Raiders the week after that. That's no gimme. Oof. The Rams, the Saints. The 49ers might be the easiest game on the schedule. <laughs> uh, let's, be, uh, let's be honest here. You know, Calvin Johnson probably got a good, another good three or four years before he starts to fall off, if he hasn't already. You got Golden Tate. You, you got uh, Eric Ebron and these running backs. You're set up for success right yeah. now. I don't know that you eat the second coming of Brett Favre in the first round anyway. If you get to a competent quarterback in the top of the draft, they should be able to do some things that we expect Matt Stafford to do right now with this this collection of talent on offense. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It, and it's a good situation. You know, like you say, it's a good situation of that. You ease those kids in like that, and it makes the transition a lot easier. Look at what Minnesota's done with Teddy Bridgewater. Um. Okay, so we mentioned I mentioned the Colin Kaepernick thing, and that's that's kind of the other big news this week. Well, there's kind of a lot of news this week, really. Yeah, there it is. The Pep Hamilton firing in Indianapolis, and we'll get to that in a second. But um, I wanted to talk quickly about the Copernic thing because that's that's a little surprising. Um, you know, his you know this is a guy that helped uh, the 49ers get to the Super Bowl a few years ago, and you know after the 2012 season, played really well, was you know off to a good start to his career, and then kind of uh, started to tail off a little bit last season and just hit the skids this year. Yeah. And, um, it's hard not to look at that and wonder if the coaching changes, the slightly irrational coaching changes they made in San Francisco have something to do with that. I mean, I think you have to believe it's part of it. My question, when you, when you talk about Kaepernick, um, and this is just kind of like not anything you could measure really, but when they gave him, when they offered him that deal, you know, where it's kind of like year to year and really not much guaranteed, not much Went, went into him like is that like a self-fulfilling prophecy you know what I mean like 
we don't have any like belief in you. And then therefore like it like made him having all this self doubt and things like that. I don't know if that's the case at all. Obviously he had some, you know, issues before all this and he wasn't a complete quarterback, but the fall off is really crazy. Um, and so I don't know. Part of me just wonders like how much the relationship between the front office and him had to do with it. Like, and there's reports now that he's kind of like sullen and walking around the locker room this year with just his headphones on kind of removed from everything. And, um, I just wonder how much of the psychological factor of, of that, like that deal had on all this, you know what I mean? I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I guess my counterpoint to that would be like, it certainly hasn't hurt Andy Dalton. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, that's true. I mean, a similar, uh, a similar deal like that. I know, Stephen. You, you know, you've watched some of the, you've watched Kepernick play over the years a little bit. What are your your thoughts on his benching and struggles this year? Well, for one, I think that his struggles were eminently foreseeable because yeah. you're changing the the whole offensive yeah. system that they built around him in the first place. And so uh, now you bring in Jake uh, Christ, I think is the offense coordinator's name, who. As far as I could tell, you know, is not very good at his job, <laughs> and, and and so you look, and, and Colin Kaepernick has not looked good. I, I won't make any excuses for him. I'm saying the entire thing is a clusterfuck because when I watch film, yeah, I see Colin Kaepernick miss miss some passes, but I also see plays that don't have any chance of being successful. Yeah, like they're, they're running route combinations into coverage almost. And so either everybody's wrong or the offense coordinator is terrible. And nobody's really talking about this because we have such a low bar for, for Colin Kaepernick anyway. Nobody really expects him to be a pocket passer. So when he's, you know, taking off running, everybody just assumes, well, he missed open guys and just took off running. No, there's nobody open. Yeah. He really doesn't have any chance. And so, uh, like I said, they changed the whole offensive system that was designed for him to be successful. They also lost a bunch of talent on the offensive line. The offensive line went from being a strength to a weakness on the team. You combine those two things, and you're going to have a hard time finding a quarterback that's going to thrive in that situation. Oh, and by the way, they have fewer offensive weapons as well, and they just trade away Vernon Davis. So, yeah, yeah you know, other than that, <laughs> everything is fine. <laughs> so, um, I'll just say that it's a total failure from top to bottom what happened to uh, Colin Kaepernick this year, but ultimately it falls on him. Like I said, won't make any excuses, won't you know, blow any smoke up anybody's butt saying he's played great. But I'm just telling you, he ain't had much help at all, whether on the field or in the coaching box. No. And, you know, one of the offensive linemen they lost was Anthony Davis. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty, you know, that's a huge hit to your offensive line uh, to lose a 26-year-old left tackle. <laughs> And then uh, Ayu Potty, you know, yeah. and uh, left guard. Uh, yeah. You can't replace those guys, especially, you know, when you didn't see some of them coming, like, you know, uh, uh, the right tackle you were just referring to just up and retired. So, yeah. You didn't see that coming. Yeah. I don't understand why they don't hire Chris Alt. I, I uh, think the problem is, is nobody wants to go work there now because they all exactly. know it's a, it's a clusterfuck. <laughs> I don't think many people were beating down their door to, to, to get their head coaching job uh, this offseason once they saw what happened with Harbaugh. No, and then you see Harbaugh goes to Michigan, a, t- a team that – now I know co- I'm not, you know, college and NFL apples to oranges, but, 
you know, I, you can obviously look at what Harbaugh has done in Michigan and think, you know, hey, this guy's not a bad coach after all. Maybe the uh, Jed York and Trent Balky weren't right because uh, this is a team that wasn't really that was considered kind of a rebuilding project. And, you know, now look at where they are. I mean, he's been successful everywhere he's gone. Harbaugh has. Right. Yeah, and I'm, I don't know, think I'm that's sure he's not easy to get along with. I understand that. A lot of people aren't. But, you know, if people are good at their job, you can learn to put up with some shit. You know what I mean? Or just don't right. meddle. <laughs> and, yeah. and what I was going to say is, you know, the most frustrating thing if you're a 49ers fan is, I don't think they even sold it as they were getting rid of him because he wasn't good enough or because he wasn't successful. They they flat out said basically it was because of personality conflict. Yeah. Right. It's right. just dumb as... You know what? I yeah. mean, I mean, this is fucking football, and y'all can't get along. So somebody got to take their ball and go home. That is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, and that's why. I mean, and that's why I don't think Tom Sula will get fired after the season. I mean, I don't, you know, I and mean, he's a, a nice enough guy to interview and stuff. But uh, um, his coaching leaves a little bit to be desired. But he's they trust him. The Yorks like him. I mean, he's he's their guy, and that'll. It sounds like, by all accounts, that that might be enough to. Give him another year in San Francisco, and who knows well, what else is going to happen. Well, you know, this sounds all fine and good until you win three or four games the whole year. Yeah. Right? You know, it sounds good right now, but if they don't win some more games, I don't know how they keep him when, like I said, it's been a debacle from top to bottom. Yeah. It's, ego's a terrible thing, a terrible, terrible damn thing. I always feel bad for Kaepernick too because it's not like people just look at his struggles in the light, in light of on the football field. Like with Kaepernick, he's one of those guys that the first thing they go to is not that he's struggling on the field; it's that he's struggling on the field. And then like, well, he doesn't wear his cap right. Well, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't work on his mechanics in the off season and stuff like that. Yeah, <laughs> and which and is maybe what? true, but no, I mean it's not true. The, the, the mechanics for it. I mean. I- Look, he's worked with a bunch of different people, and it's been highly publicized. He worked with uh, Kurt um, Warner, Kurt Warner. This, yeah. this offseason for his trip right. So, um, and, and and in the weight room, we know what he, he gets busy there. The thing that, that's frustrating to me is, you know, they talk about him walking around with headphones on in the locker room as if that is so odd. Like all these other quarterbacks are just hanging out with the rest of the team. I don't yeah. ever hear a bunch of stories about. Andy Dalton just kick it with the guys. You want to know why? <laughs> that shit doesn't happen. We don't really want to kick it with quarterbacks in the first damn place, and they never want to kick it with the rest of the team anyway, usually. Don't have anything to do with leadership or how they play. That's just kind of how it goes. Uh, defense yeah. alignment, hang out with, with defense alignment, maybe an offense alignment here and there, running backs, running with wide receivers. That's just kind of how it goes. But when he's calling Kaepernick, now, it's some kind of statement about where he stands <laughs> on the team or if he has buddies on the team. Do you, have you ever even been in a fucking locker room when you say shit like that? That's what I'm thinking to myself. Because I personally, having played seven years in the league, don't know of any quarterbacks that just be hanging out with the rest of their teammates, buddy-buddy, all day long. They yeah. got plenty of other shit to do anyway. Yeah. So, uh, you know, why is this a big deal? When it's Colin Kaepernick, that's, that's the part that kind of pisses me off. Well, and there's precedent with this, too, in San Francisco. You go back to last season with all the stuff with Harbaugh. I mean, and, and all the reports about the dissent and the trouble in the locker room ultimately proved to be a bunch of bullshit. I mean, they were well-placed leaks by interested parties. And it's so anytime I hear anything about what's going on in the locker room in San Francisco, 
that's the first thing that comes to mind. It's, well, I, I can't buy this because look at last season and it all proved to be a bunch of shit, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, anytime you have a media leak, you have to say, okay, who's giving them this information and why are they yeah. giving it to them, right? It's, and I imagine the front office wants to defend the decision to bench their, course. you know, quote, franchise quarterback. So that's a good reason. And to- I, mean, I mean, you know, I, I actually, I saw the news that he was being benched and all this stuff. You didn't really pay attention to Tom Sula's uh, uh, press conference or whatever. So I go to look it up because we're having a conversation about it too on email. <laughs> and I actually see the article where evidently Jim Tom Sula said, this is just kind of like a break. Like it's not, we're not really benching him. This is just kind of, you know, let him kind of, you know, uh, take a deep <laughs> breath and get a different perspective and, and watch from the sidelines and maybe learn something. As if, you know, well, he'll just be back next week. That's not really how this works, right? You can't just up and bench the franchise quarterback who you just paid and then turn right back to him, you know, no matter what. So uh, just the whole way they even tried to frame this has been ridiculous. I I never never heard of that before in my life. Head <laughs> coach getting up there and basically said, oh, we're just going to give him a timeout, you know, we're, we're going to send him on, on, on vacation for a little while. and maybe he'll keep her. <laughs> Isn't that what the bye week is for? I know they haven't had a bye week yet, but couldn't you just wait for the bye week for that? You, you're going to give them two bye weeks or something? What the hell's going on? <laughs> it's kind of been, I don't know. It's like a year of just like the, we haven't had the big off field scandals. It's just the, an abnormal level of dysfunctional teams this season in the NFL. Yeah, Ken Wisenhut. Oh, there's yeah, there's. Um, I, I don't think uh, we've had a conversation since uh, Ken Wisenhut got fired in Tennessee. <laughs> I guess I'm not. Uh, was anybody surprised by that? I mean, I guess I would be surprised if you were surprised, but. <laughs> <laughs> oh hell no! <laughs> I, I mean, three and twenty over you know one and a half seasons, and then you go back to his record in Arizona. He coached six seasons in Arizona. He had two winning seasons, and they were at the start of his career in Arizona. And it's also when they had Kurt Warner in the lineup. (laughs) But Peter King took a stance um, that this was really dumb because they let him go out and pick the quarterback. And, you know, he only got five games with Mariota. He didn't have a good chance with it. But I guess my feeling is is you have precedent with Wisenhunt. And you also go back to that game, which we've talked about multiple times on this podcast, um, that game against the Dolphins where Wisenhunt left Mariota in there when he was obviously hurt. Yeah. Like couldn't escape the pocket or anything because his leg was hurt so bad from that Oliver Vernon hit. Um, so, I, you know, not that you were – not that I would assume that anyone is really surprised by this, but, I mean, right move, wrong move for the Titans – all right, I'm going to go with right move. Uh, you guys know I, I've written about them twice this year. They're, they are a dumb football team. <laughs> and that comes from above. That comes from their head coach yeah. and that comes from their coaching staff. And it wasn't just that he left Mariota in there against the Dolphins when he couldn't really defend himself. Is that he still failed to protect him for the rest of the game. You got a guy who's out there dragging his foot around you know, uh, rem- reminiscent of RG3 in that playoff yeah. game when he tore his ACL. Yeah. And you still won't chip on Oliver Vernon or, or uh, Cameron Wake. And that's the game Cameron Wake had four sacks in the first half. In the first 
how? <laughs> and your dumb ass can't figure out to send a little bit more protection over there, and you leave the number two pick in the draft to keep getting better. Like I say, a lot of you don't even realize there was another personal foul hit that uh, Olivier Werner had after the hit to his legs. Why? Yeah. Because he couldn't get out of the way. So, uh, yeah, that, that needed to happen. There wasn't anything in the way of progress that I could see on film from week to week. And there's just too much talent on that team. I know it's Tennessee, and so a lot of te- people don't follow it. They have a ton of talent on that team. They need a running back. Uh, uh, Bell County might have found him, and, and it's, uh, I think he's uh, Antonio Andrews or something like yeah. that. name, uh, kid. But they need a running back and, and maybe, you know, a linebacker too. But when you talk about Darrell Casey, when you talk about this offensive line they've been building, uh, you know, with Warmack and, and the left tackle out, out of Michigan, the wide receiver position, good night. You know, you got DGB who's 6'6", and you got uh, Justin Hunter who's 6'5". Both of those guys can go up and get the football. You got Kendall Wright who's hurt now but is an outstanding slot receiver. You got too much talent on that team, not only just to be losing, but to be losing the way that they're losing. <laughs> they got yeah. their asses kicked by a sorry Houston Texans team. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm surprised they actually make, let them make it back into the office after that game. Well, and it's not just the Mariota thing, and this is something because you wrote about this, Stephen. We talked about it here, too, is that – the, that Colts game that they lost by two points, and that was the one where they had that dumbass two-point conversion at the end of the game <laughs> that would have tied it. And then the Bills game, the, their next game after, their, they had a bye in week four, and then they, had, they played the Bills a week after that, and that's the one where they had the Bills pinned in, at the, in the, late in the fourth quarter and let them go Third down the 20, field and win the game. Third and 23, they give up a 23-and-a-half-yard run. <laughs> Scramble by the quarterback when the only offense the Bills had the whole game was the previous drive when the quarterback ran for 22 and 25 yards. I got it memorized in my head. I'll never forget. The guy just ran for 25 and 22 yards to finally get the Bills in scoring position the previous drive. And your dumbass let him scramble for third and 23. Yeah. And they were like on the, they were on like the negative 10 yard line or something. They were backed up. And, you, and how does that happen? Uh, it, it just you If you try to call a defense that bad, you will still be hard-pressed to outdo what the Titans did intentionally uh, <laughs> against, uh, against the Bills. So, like I said, I mean, I, I won't cry any tears for Ken Wisenhunt because he was terrible at his job. When you're bad at your job, you're supposed to get fired. Yeah. Well, and, and think about this, too. It's like if they win those two games, which they could have and probably should have. They're running away with the division. Yeah. I mean, worst oh, case scenario, if they win those two games, they're three and four right now, and they're right in the thick of it. That division's so terrible. <laughs> and it's terrible in, in a lot of ways because Tennessee, like, made it even worse than it could have been because of the shitty coaching there. Yeah, two point They're, they're one mean, and six. They could be three and four, and they're one and six. Ran a damn fullback on a two point play. <laughs> a fullback? Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> a fullback, and then they bl- they don't even blitz. They just sent four, I think, didn't they? And they just chased the guy. No, they I sent mean, four, and then they had all the linebackers and everybody else clear out the middle. Like uh, literally, when they lined up, there's nobody in the middle of the field. 
except for the safety, <laughs> who's like twenty yards back. Literally, I mean, I mean, it, it just is, and it's of, of course there's more plays than that, but those were just the two big blatant ones. They just show you. I mean, I mean, you're supposed to win both of those games, and probably should have beat the Texans last week too, even with Metaburger yeah. starting. But once again, guess what they didn't do? Protect the quarterback. Because evidently, Ken Wizenhut doesn't know how. Yeah, and they've invested. And it's not like they're just throwing together some offensive line and it's, it's stuck with a bunch of injuries. They've invested a lot of dra- high draft picks at that offensive line, at least two first-rounders. And, and for it to be playing the way, you know, to play like that and then not, you know, don't put a tight end to help Taylor Luan when he's just getting his ass handed to him by merciless all day it's just it's crazy but uh you know that's why teams like that are bad and i guess that it's (laughs) yeah you know you get you're in this situation with the league it's the patriots are undefeated the packers are not undefeated but close the broncos are undefeated the 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 bingles are undefeated all these teams are pretty consistently over the last 10 years have been playoff teams and then you look at the bottom of the standings it's tennessee it's cleveland it's miami it's it's uh you know detroit i mean these are teams well yep there's these teams are always down there at the bottom of the standings they're fighting for the fighting to get out of the basement is usually the theme and and it is once again this season for them too and and i think we have just sort of covered why in 30 minutes about the lions and titans and 49ers oh my (laughs) you see what i did there i didn't even have to mention the bears to get to that (laughs) i could have gone lions titans and bears oh my but i didn't I want to go. I didn't take the easy way out. That's good, not my good way. For, strength. <laughs> <laughs> for the easy pun, um, man. Let's see uh, the change in Indianapolis. The real quickly, I guess you know doesn't look like firing Pep Hamilton is going to do the trick. They've had um, you know they've had a lot of offensive success with Hamilton, though I'm not necessarily right. sure that that's all his doing. What? How did that strike y'all? That feels to me like he's a scapegoat. Um, and we talked about this before. It's like uh, when I think, yeah, maybe it was with the Lions or whoever else fired their coordinator this year. Um, like the, the Mariners here in, in Seattle, like have fired their hitting coach like four times <laughs> over the last four years. It's like, I don't think that's the problem, guys. Um, you know, so that kind of, that's how it felt to me. Like, you know, they went to the AFC championship game last year with him and I don't think he's been the major problem. Maybe they're just trying to shake things up. Um, but to me, it feels like there's so much, uh, uh, I don't know, bad blood or just discord in that front office right now that, um, it's just almost like bloodletting that that's like the, the scapegoat for now. And, um, you know, I don't think Pep Hamilton is necessarily, I mean, let's face it, like Andrew Luck is making terrible choices on some of these interceptions and some of these decisions he's making are not Pep Hamilton's fault. So um, I don't know. I, to me, it just felt like a, uh, a scapegoat thing. I, I, maybe having some fresh ideas in there would be good and, and kind of, you know, changing things up a little bit. But um, I don't know. I just didn't see that as the major issue. Well, and it seems like politics is a little bit at play. You've heard the reports now. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm not privy to insight on this, so I, I can't really speak to it beyond what, you know, we see in the press. But it sounds like you have sort of this grigson pajano rivalry inside the building and and yeah it comes down on grigson the gm side and you know he's making lineup you know game day lineup decisions and stuff which really isn't the uh 
the general manager's purview in most cases. So right, that's kind of a you know when you don't have when leadership's against each other, you're just you're kind of doomed anyway. I mean, you know, you can run all the X's and O's and break down all the film you want, but if the coach and GM are at loggerheads over, you know, what's happening on game day, it's, and the owner's not really doing anything about it, then you're probably kind of screwed anyway. Yeah. I mean, we've looked at this in the past before and like, there's typically four columns to like championship teams that, that repeat, you know, you you were talking about the Patriots Packers, these teams, and um, they have really good relationship between owner coach gm and and quarterback like franchise quarterback those are the four pillars of a championship team and you have to pretty much have you know not necessarily like a really great relationship but at least like understanding and cooperation between those four and you know you look at all the teams that have had sustained success and they have those pillars and so right now the colts you know they've got their franchise quarterback they you know and but then and they had their quote gm of the year and 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 People love Pagano, and obviously Ursay is a kind of wild card. But um, right now, it's just like those three are <laughs> kind <like>. of, <laughs> yeah. But uh, but yeah. So <clears throat> I mean, I think that's the problem. It starts at the top. I think it's just it, it's a trickle down thing. And let's talk about some of the games. Uh, I, there's one thing in particular I want to talk about because Steven's got a piece coming out tomorrow, and it's really good. I'm really uh, I'm looking forward to it. Um, the Broncos' defense is a uh, pretty pretty good right now <laughs> um steven what did you see when you lo- were looking at the film with the broncos defense this week uh well the interesting thing is that they didn't do a whole lot of different things um i kind of i'm not sure what i expected but um you, you see them throttle the Green Bay Packers like that. <laughs> I mean, Aaron Rodgers didn't throw for 80 yards the whole game. And so you, you just kind of figure, well, maybe they got some kind of magic secret sauce or something that they used to, to fool Aaron Rodgers and that whole offense. But what actually happened was they lined up in the, mostly in the three-fourth uh, alignment, played a bunch of man-to-man, and said, hey, we're better than you. And they were right. Yeah. It's uh, and it's not easy to hold Aaron Rodgers to less than a hundred yards when and, and he's not actually hurt or anything like that either. Is that the first time he's done that in his career? I, I believe so. Without it being like you know a week seventeen, right? You know where he just plays like half a game situation, or or or, um, or actually being injured. Right. Exactly. But that's a pretty impressive feat. Now they had the Broncos play the Colts this week, so that's probably not. <laughs> it's not the best uh, tough of a matchup. game for them. But uh the Packers have another interesting matchup. They're at Carolina. Yeah. That's going to be a good game. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to that. And that Carolina defense and I didn't realize this until I was kind of going back and look at it after the fact, but I didn't realize they didn't have Quan Short in there toward the end of the game or was he out the whole game maybe? I, I don't recall off the top of my head, but the last the the cold, the Monday night game um, you could tell the they were getting a little they worn down, him. and they didn't yeah. weren't as able to do as much with their front four, and they didn't have short in there either. Who's a guy we've talked about here before? I mean the 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 Panthers are I think pretty similar. I haven't studied them closely this year, but 
if they, as long as they haven't changed their philosophy greatly, I think they're kind of similar to what Steven was saying about the Broncos where they just line up in their base set and, and say, we're better than you. And, um, you know, they don't blitz a whole lot. They let their front four get, you know, to the quarterback and then they have really, really good linebackers. And obviously Josh Norman is emerged as a shutdown type cornerback. I mean, a couple of huge plays in that game. Um, and then, I mean, I mean, Luke Keekley is back to being one of the most dominant defensive players in the NFL. Um, and, you know, obviously we saw that. He, he missed an interception that would have sealed the game before overtime started, and then he obviously had the pick in overtime. So, um, I mean, they're just a really, really fun defense to watch. This is a huge, another huge test for, for Green Bay. Um, and, they're, yeah, like I said, they're kind of similar in that sense. I think I, I have, they have the same sort of identity as the Broncos' defense, other than, I mean, obviously they're not the same scheme, but um, just in terms of they're really tough-nosed, good, you know, good players at it, like good depth and everywhere. And, and so, yeah, that's, that's going to be a really good matchup. Um, what other games are you guys looking forward to this weekend? The, let's see here, pull up this. Is anyone anxiously awaiting the uh, the Johnny Manziel <laughs> uh, Browns Bengals du- duel tonight? I guess uh, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> not so much. Yeah. Uh, actually, the game I'm really looking forward to is the St. Louis uh, yes. Rams yeah. Minnesota game. That's going to be because, good because you know. Uh, we're pretty sure that the Vikings are an okay team. Maybe, you know, not sure how good, but a pretty good team. The Rams look so much better with Todd Gurley as a starting running back. Um, yeah. They actually look like, you know, they have a chance in any game. So we get to kind of see these two teams kind of, you know, one of them kind of pull away from the other one as far as which one of these teams is actually any good. Can either of these teams actually challenge for a playoff spot this year? So I think this yep. is kind of going to be a divining uh, uh, divine ride between these two teams and how their season is going to go. Yeah, and I, you know, I wrote a little bit about Todd Gurley yesterday, and I, like I say, it's it's man, the guy's just fun to watch, and it's really underrated. Um, just you know, when you watch a football game, and it's fun. I mean, we do this <laughs> for work, and and we have to sort of look at it through that lens a lot. And that's not a complaint. Don't get me wrong, but I'm just saying it's a. You know, it does kind of change how you, you know, how you look at it and how you see the games and how you watch it when you go back and look at the tape and stuff. But, um, you know, it's just fun. It's just fun to watch him break away and run like that. But at some point, they're going to have to have more offense than just Todd Gurley. And, and you saw the San Francisco 49ers were sort of successful with that early on in that game, the first quarter anyway. They just, you know, they stacked the front and then, you know, Gurley wasn't able to do much, but then eventually they kind of broke apart and he broke out for that 71-yard touchdown. But um, Now the Vikings defense is a little better group than, than what San Francisco has. And it's in Minnesota. So that's uh, I think that's going to be interesting to see because I think to me that'll tell us where the Rams are in the playoff line. Now, now Danny, you wrote today about playoff some playoff dark horses. Which, which yeah. one of these playoff dark horse teams is really standing out to you right now? Well, I mean, in the NFC, I think the Rams really are kind of the team that, that stand out to me. As, um, you know, they're kind of on the outside looking in right now, but this, this matchup with the Vikings will really kind of tell us a lot, like Stephen was saying, um, whether the, the Rams are kind of pretenders or if they're, if they're 
they're legit. Like if they can keep going with Gurley and ride that identity, um, I think that's like really what they've been looking for. You know, with Jeff Fisher, that's really what he yeah. wants is that legit punch you in the mouth run game. And they've kind of tried to do it over the years, but haven't really had it. Now they like, it looks like they legit have it, you know? Um, plus they've got the lightning element with Tavon Austin kind of to mix that up. And then, um, you know, right now their defense is playing really, really well. So they've kind of got the formula, I think, to surprise some people. I think I, I said in my piece, like it's, it seems like they've been accumulating talent for like 10 years and but for some reason they've never really been able to put it together like this could be the year where it finally starts coming together and and some of their like major weapons like Aaron Donald is just dominant right now and so um yeah to me they look good on on the NFC side and then um on the AFC side uh the Oakland Raiders are really an interesting team and that this is the other game that I'm really looking forward to watching this week is the uh Steelers and Raiders um because the Raiders, their offense is legit right now. They're, I think, the fifth-ranked team for DVOA in offense. Um, it's not like a fluke. They're not just kind of like an exciting passing team. Like, they're legit on offense. They have weapons. Got a really pretty good offensive line. Um, and so, I don't know. Those are the two, To me, those are the two most interesting teams. I think the Raiders are actually, if the playoffs started now, they'd be in it. But they still have a pretty tough schedule going forward, um, if I remember correctly. And so they'll be a real team to watch in the second half if they can, um, you know, again, they're kind of like the Rams. Like, are they pretenders right now? Or are they contenders? Are they real? Um, yeah. So those, those are the two teams for me that are the most interesting going into the second half. Yeah. Steven, but the, way, the way that the, the, the divisions and the, and the conferences are set up right now, it's, it's such a mess that, like, it's pretty cool because literally, like, there's like 10 or 15 teams that could get the last six spots. I think there's about six spots right now that are pretty much secure um, in the NFC. And then, I mean, for both, for both really. And so, or sorry, six total spots in, in the whole playoffs. And so, yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of teams that are still in, in the hunt. Steven, any, any of those teams standing jumping out to you? Um, like I say, uh, the Rams to me, are an enigma. I don't know what to yeah. make of them with Todd Gurley um, as the focal point. Because because now, you're taking all the pressure off of Nick Foles. And before, we, we thought, you know, Nick Foles would be kind of the key to their fortunes this year. And if he couldn't play well, then they didn't have a shot, even with their great defense. Now, they're going to be playing with the lead a lot. Okay? If they can keep Todd Gurley going the way he's going, you're actually going to see what this Rams defense that is designed to play with a, 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 a lead, so to speak, because they got all these pass rushers and, and, and secondary guys. Now you're actually going to be able to see what they can do uh, when they actually have optimal situations. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think this is a very dangerous team. I think this is a very different team than what they were before Todd Gurley came on the scene. And now play action pass, everything's going to start working a little bit better on offense if he can stay healthy and continue to, to produce at the clip that he's producing at right now. Yeah. You got, you want to hear my theory on the Rams? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be great. <laughs> well, this is Jeff Fisher. This is Jeff Fisher. So, you know, he's kind of due for a good season. So it's been a while. So <laughs> it's time that he has one and, and they're going to get in the playoffs this year, just in time to relocate to Los Angeles 
and get everyone in Los Angeles hyped about the team, and then and then it'll be Jeff Fisher ball all over again <laughs> for like another five seasons of seven to nine, eight and eight. But I mean, I don't know. People say I'm cynical. I shouldn't. No. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it is really fun. It's weird to watch a Rams team that actually has a chance. Now we'll see what happens this weekend, but. <laughs> I was going to say, I almost mentioned something about you in the article today, but I figured people probably wouldn't get it most, mostly. <laughs> that's why we got to have you. That's why you guys are out front and center. You, you, it's, it's important we have the good voices out there, not the ones that everybody just fucking hates. <laughs> um, I read the con. They posted that article at Turf Show Times. I went and read the comments, and it was just like, "Man, what are you doing back here? I can't believe you're back on the bandwagon now." <laughs> yes. Yeah. Why did I read the comments? I really have no, way- <laughs> no one but myself to blame. Speaking of comments, I'll tell you one game I'm excited for, just for the sheer nuclear wasteland of it: Washington at New England. Oh man! Now I like my that. mentions have assured me over the last couple of weeks that Kirk Cousins, the real deal. Mm. And so I guess we'll find out this week, huh? <laughs> I still <laughs> like that you get all the crap from me from my article. You know, I did. There's one thing I did want to talk about um, because we haven't really talked a lot. We've talked about Mariota a lot this this week, but you know, Winston, Jameis is Winston. The first overall pick in the draft, his, you know, his season he, he's been playing. I mean, I don't think it's necessarily been the kind of season that is everyone's just super pumped about, but it's not necessarily the kind of season that is just awful and, and portends terrible things for the rest of his career. So I wanted to ask you, Stephen, give us an update on Jameis Winston. How, you know, what you look at the tape, you see the Buccaneers pretty regularly. What do you think of him so far? Well, he didn't start off um, all that great. Of course, he had the... I think the two or three interception game uh, to start the season off against against the Titans and Marcus Mariota, and then he had um, a game against the uh, Panthers where he threw four interceptions. But since that game, the light bulb has come off the chains. Uh, he's playing some really good football the last three weeks. Uh, I, I don't think it's uh, a coincidence that they've actually won two out of those three games either. Uh, he, he wasn't, you know, Aaron Rodgers on Sunday, but there's no doubt that he was a big reason why the Bucks won that football game, especially taking them down on the first drive of overtime and, and getting a field goal out of it. So, um, and I know most people aren't going to watch the Bucks anyway, but actually, you know, most of the people that's, that's reviewed his film the last three weeks, I'm getting pretty excited about this kid, and, and, and I'm no different. Yeah, and there's a lot of offensive talent. Is is the tight end um, man? I can't. Jenkins. Yeah, is he going to be back this week? It doesn't look like it, and that's kind of starting to become a thing here. Uh, <laughs> he made some some unfortunate comments yesterday. I guess oh. saying that he didn't want to play until he was a hundred percent, which. <laughs> Uh, people had already been calling him soft and stuff like that that I don't agree with because I see him. He's not a very good run blocker, but he tries. He just has very poor technique. Kind of like Jimmy Graham. Jimmy Graham tries to block people. He's just terrible at it. He doesn't run his feet, and he doesn't really use his hands well. But you see him out there giving effort, and I see the same thing 
from Austin Safarian Jenkins. Look, that that is just not a good quote, man. It, you know, you got all these internet tough guys anyway, and they hundred percent. What does that mean? So you know, that's not going well. And then Vincent Jackson's going to be out uh, for a while. He, he missed the last game, and he's going to miss this week too. So um, actually, he's had a little bit of a lack of talent around him uh, um, recently. Uh, the, the game they lost. Uh, he actually lost uh, Vincent Jackson and the number three receiver, Lewis Murphy, like both of them in the first half. So hmm. uh, he's been like a game and a half with only basically Mike Jenkins as a proven commodity to throw to other than Brandon Myers at tight end and still found a way to win the game against the Falcons. So, yeah, Falcon, Falcons fans, you should feel pretty shitty today <laughs> that the, Bucks, the lowly Bucks beat y'all with basically just Mike Evans uh, in the passing game last week on offense. And Mike Evans only caught three, caught three balls, but still. Uh, I mean, they had Devontae die. Stop me if you heard any of these names. Adam Humphrey. <laughs> yeah, you, you ain't heard these guys before, you know. Uh, so, <clears throat> but they found a way to win, and, and uh, that's in large part, again, to uh, James Winston playing better, and, of course, they got the running game going as well. Yeah, that's uh that's interesting. I'll be interested to see how he finishes the season. Um but you know, it's a uh, it, it's 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 been a positive. I mean, I guess if you're a Buccaneers fan, um there's hope. Don't go that far. Don't <laughs> <laughs> hey. go that far quite yet. If we can continue to do this and the defense can find a way to start, you know, being a little bit more consistent, then yes. I think most people are pretty excited about Jameis Winston, but overall, you know, just yeah. from game to game, you just don't know what you're getting with the Buccaneers. So uh, I wouldn't say hope quite yet, but <laughs> I, I think that specifically for Jameis Winston, most people feel like the arrow is going way up right now. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, that's a positive overall because it could be, you know, the way it could go with young quarterbacks in, in the league today. But, uh, uh, you never know. Uh, you know that was a that, that was a big deal for the Raiders. They got that one, two, three of cornerstone players: the pass rusher, the quarterback, and the wide receiver. And uh, that's a that's a that's a, a hell of a foundation to build on if you can get to that. But um, guys, we're uh, coming up on an hour here. It's been a good one. Um, let's see. I I haven't looked at Twitter in a few minutes so i don't know if anybody else has been fired or not so hopefully hopefully we're through the looking glass today anyway and we can we can go about our day and get psyched up for the battle of ohio (laughs) all right gentlemen uh it's been another uh, another fine one and let's uh reconvene next week shall we sounds good all right, guys. Thank you, and uh, enjoy uh, enjoy football this week. Yeah. <laughs>